Our Bible reading this morning is from John 3, verses 1 through 16. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. The word of the Lord. During my sabbatical, uh, one of the things that I could do with my extra time was complete uh, several house projects uh, that had been waiting for me for some time. Most of these I enjoyed, but the last one was the worst. I needed to prepare our bathroom floor uh, to be replaced, and we're having professionals install the new floor. Uh, but I needed to take up the old flooring myself to to get it ready. We knew that this needed to be done for a long time. Our old linoleum was warping and and bubbling up, and I was afraid that there uh, had been some water damage and just knew that it, it had to be replaced. So I began tearing out the old floor, and it was so much worse than I thought. Underneath the floor was just black mold and rotted wood. And then it turned out that there were five or six layers of old floor underneath, one on top of the other, each one moldy and rotting. Uh, It was just a a nasty job, uh, just to expose the mess, uh, and then a lot of hard work to strip away uh, layer after layer, inch by inch, until finally... I got down to the last layer, 
uh, the original subfloor. And to my relief, it was clean. Not exactly like new, but, but still very functional. I, I wasn't afraid of falling through the floor into the basement uh, anymore. <clears throat> Today, we're starting a, a short series on renewal in the Christian life. And the experience of renewal is kind of like my bathroom floor project. Often dirty and messy, exposing things that we would rather not know are there under the surface or that we suspect are there and we don't, we don't really want to face them. But there's also a hope in renewal that it is possible to find new life and health despite the mess. The theme of renewal has been important for me while I was on sabbatical these past few months. So I wanted to share some of that spirit with you. But as we approach this new school year, I think many of us are looking for whatever renewal we can find in these last weeks of summer. But I also want to suggest uh, that the normal Christian life should be a life of renewal. So today, we're discussing renewing faith. But then in the next two weeks, we're going to go on to see that spiritual renewal is much more than a private individual experience. True renewal extends out to the renewal of a whole community and ultimately the world. It begins as we face our need for change and it invites us to discover the power of God's love to make us new. So let's see what we learned today from this famous encounter of Jesus with Nicodemus. There are three things uh, we can learn here. First, we learn of our need for spiritual renewal. Second, we discover the way to spiritual renewal. And third, we see the source of spiritual renewal. The, our need for spiritual renewal, the way to renewal, and the source of renewal. So let's look at each one of these. First, the need for renewal. Consider this man, Nicodemus. If there was ever someone whom you would think wouldn't need renewal, it would be Nicodemus. He was one of the most prominent religious leaders of his day. He's a Pharisee, which means he's highly educated in the Jewish Torah. He's a ruler of the Jews. This means that he's a member of the Jewish Sanhedrin, the official governing council of the Jewish people. It had only 70 members, so Nicodemus would be something for us like a senator coming to Jesus. He had religious authority, probably a highly regarded teacher. He had political authority. He is an institutional insider. He's wealthy. You might recall that at the end of the Gospel of John, Nicodemus shows up with Joseph of Arimathea to get Jesus' body from the Romans and prepare it for burial with extravagant spices. He has access to power. This is all to say that in the figure of Nicodemus, we find someone whom we might think doesn't need a lot of help. Given his credentials, he should be the least spiritual needy of anyone, right? Now, Nicodemus's attitude here is open to interpretation. But my sense of Nicodemus, at least here in this initial encounter, 
is that he's also pretty confident in his credentials. He comes to Jesus not asking a question, but making a statement. Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. He speaks not just for himself, but for his whole ruling class. He's exceedingly respectful. He's sure to offer appreciation. But you can also see this as an attempt to co-opt Jesus into the religious establishment. A kind of keep your friends close and your enemies closer strategy for managing this new flashy teacher. And Nicodemus is shocked and confused by Jesus' response to him. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. We'll come back to the question of what it means to be born again, or as I'll say, born from above. But first, it's enough just to notice that Jesus' response to Nicodemus is unsettling. Nicodemus comes to Jesus as an authority, as one teacher to another, claiming knowledge, making a pronouncement about Jesus. And Jesus responds that, in fact, Nicodemus needs a complete transformation. Jesus begins to pry up the floorboards. This brings us to the heart of our need for spiritual renewal. Most of us do not have the status or the credentials of someone like Nicodemus. But what he shows us is that even if we have something to boast about on our resume, those things may be the greatest impediment to our relationship with God. Socially and culturally, Nicodemus has it all going for him. Someone like Nicodemus wouldn't seem to need a new birth. He's successful and respected. He's a religious authority and theologian. If you looked at his resume, you would be impressed and, and want to hire him or, or work with him. Humanly speaking, he has everything going for him. But under the surface, like all of us, Jesus says, Nicodemus needs spiritual renewal. So what is the way to that renewal? Let's consider what Jesus means when he says, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. The, the Greek is ambiguous, and, and it can be translated either unless one is born again or unless one is born from above. Nicodemus clearly takes it in the first way when he says, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and, and be born? But as Jesus makes clear, he's not talking about a literal rebirth, but a, a spiritual rebirth. Not just born again, but born from above. Elsewhere in the passage, he refers to this experience in other ways. In verse 3, as seeing the kingdom. Uh, verse 5, entering the kingdom. Verse 7, being born of the Spirit. Or verse 15, having eternal life. These are all different ways of talking about the same reality of life with God. 
How should we think about this? Well, let me offer an illustration. In the opening chapter of Andy Crouch's new book, The, the Life We're Looking For, uh, Reclaiming Relationship in a Technological World, Crouch writes about the first human quest. He says the first human quest is the quest of every healthy newborn to find a face on which to focus. Here's how Crouch writes about it. After an ordinary delivery, after the first few startled cries, newborn infants typically spend an hour or so in the stage doctors call quiet alert. Though they can only focus their vision roughly 8 to 12 inches away, their eyes are wide open. They are searching with an instinct deeper than intention. They are looking for a face. And when they find one, especially a face that gazes back at them, they fix their eyes on it, having found what they were most urgently looking for. This is a beautiful metaphor of what it means to be born from above. To, me, to be born from above means to return to this earliest experience of seeking a face, but not finding it in something or someone created, but in our creator. Throughout our lives, we're looking for a face that recognizes us that delights in us, that gazes back at us. We find it sometimes, profoundly, but, but temporarily, in our most intimate relationships. Sometimes we settle for something superficial, like looking into the phones that now recognize our faces. But the promise of the gospel is that we were made to receive God's loving gaze and that we can find him in the face of Christ. This experience is not just for the beginning of the Christian life, though that is how people often approach what Jesus says in John 3. The way we enter the Christian life is by being born from above, being born again, but the way we also grow is by being willing to look under the floorboards of our hearts to see all the ways in which we still need healing. This means asking ourselves hard questions, like what am I looking for to give me life and satisfy my deepest desires? What is capturing my gaze? So often we look for it in things in this world. But if you find life in your personal success and achievements, then you will always be working for your advancement. And if you stop, even for a moment, you'll be terrified of falling short. And if you do achieve everything that you ever dreamed, you may discover that it doesn't fulfill your deepest longings. And then what? Or if you find life in your freedom, then you may have a lot of fun, but one day you'll come to a limit. It may be the limit of what another person requires from you, or the limit of your body and its needs, 
Or it may be an experience of suffering that brings you to the end of yourself. The invitation of the gospel is to find renewal not in ourselves or in anything in this world, but in the loving gaze of our Father in heaven. As Jesus says, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Or in the words of the 18th century French philosopher Blaise Pascal, there is a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of every person and it can never be filled by any created thing. When we begin to see our spiritual need in this way, it exposes how much we hate to give up control. It means giving up all attempts to manipulate or to use our power for the benefit only of ourselves or our group. This applies in a special way to those of us who are in the church. All of us come to Jesus, Jesus thinking we know who he is, and we can keep control of the relationship. We all want to co-opt him in one way or another. And in this, we all need correction and new birth. A crisis of faith or a disillusionment with institutions may be necessary to rediscover what Jesus means for us. In repentance, we strip away not just the bad things we do that keep us from God, it also requires us to confess all the ways in which we try to do good things, our great achievements and our righteousness to maintain control and manipulate God and, and others to do what we want. To be born from above is to see your life in a whole new way based on what Jesus has done for you. Not as your project, but as God's project. It means receiving the life that we need as a gift. Not something for us to achieve, but to receive. Jesus bears witness to the reality of God. He tells us heavenly things. He descended from, he from heaven to raise us to heaven as God's sons and daughters. When we come to the end of our own resources, when we give up trying to fix ourselves and turn instead in faith to Christ, we will find his loving gaze already on us. That's the promise. As the novelist Walker Percy once wrote, we love those most who know the worst of us and don't turn their faces away. So we've talked about our need for spiritual renewal, the need that's shared by all. We've seen that the way to spiritual renewal is a new attitude of humility towards our own abilities and a, and a receptive faith in Christ. But there's one thing we need to see which, which is the, the source of renewal. What is the source of this renewal? If we turn to Christ, will we find God delighting in us? The answer is yes. Jesus says in verse 15, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. 
This imagery of Moses lifting up the serpent in the wilderness comes from the book of Numbers, chapter 21. Here, the people of Israel have been struck by serpents because of their sin and rebellion. And in response to their repentance, the Lord tells Moses to make a bronze serpent and put it on a pole. Anyone who is bitten is to look at the serpent, the symbol of what's killing them, and they're healed. In the same way, the gospel declares Jesus is lifted on the cross and becomes a source of healing and life for anyone who looks to him. In the death of Jesus, we see the result of the sin that is killing us and receive life. As God provided for the healing of Israel, he provides for the healing of the world. This is an assurance that if you look to him, you will find life. But so often, we don't really believe that this is true. We're naturally suspicious of any free offer. And one of my favorite pictures of this mindset uh, towards God comes from the 1967 movie Cool Hand Luke, uh, starring Paul Newman. Uh, In this film, Luke is a prisoner in a Florida prison camp uh, who refuses to submit to the system and he repeatedly attempts to escape. Now, this movie has so many great scenes, but there are two that have always struck me. The first is after one of Luke's escape attempts, where the warden, they call him the captain, puts chains on Luke's legs. And this captain is completely insensitive to the men that he oversees. He's mean, and he demands arbitrary obedience to the rules. And so after he chains up Luke, the captain says to him, you're going to get used to wearing them chains after a while, Luke, but you're never going to stop listening to them clinking because they're going to remind you what I've been saying for your own good. And Luke responds, I wish you'd stop being so good to me, captain. And then the captain gets really angry. Don't you ever talk that way to me, never. What we've got here is failure to communicate. Some men you just can't reach. So you get what we had here last week, which is the way he wants it. Well, he gets it. And I don't like it any more than you men. So then eventually, uh, Luke escapes again, and the authorities are quickly after him. And as they're closing in, Luke hides in a church, and he starts talking to God. He says, From here, it looks like you got things fixed, so I can never win out. Inside, outside, all them rules and regulations and bosses, you made me like I am. So just where am I supposed to fit in? I guess I'm pretty tough to deal with, huh? A hard case. Yeah, I guess I got to find my own way. And then the sheriffs and the captain arrive, and after Luke shouts at the captain, he's shot and he dies. And that's how the movie ends. Luke is a great illustration of what it means to be born of the flesh. It's not just that Luke is rebellious against the rules. His rebellion is rooted in a mindset about God, which you see in that final scene. His view of God is basically a bigger version of the captain, a giver of rules and regulations that he demands that people keep even when they're arbitrary. 
And so Luke becomes a great modernist hero by rebelling against authority. He's got to find his own way. This is, this is the flesh. It's this, this fallen human nature that believes that God is not on your side, that he's not committed to your flourishing, that doubts his goodness. And this mindset is, is deeply rooted in us, and it's, it's why we still struggle so often. We don't see the real source of renewal. On the one hand, we hear the message of grace, but in the back of our mind, we're not sure that God is really on our side. To be born from above is to have your whole view of God changed. And this is what Jesus is inviting Nicodemus into. Jesus reveals that God the Father is not like the captain. The Father is not this angry lawgiver who just wants the rules to be kept. If you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. In him, we discover that God is suffering self-sacrificial love. He doesn't have to be convinced to love you. Sometimes you hear people say, God loves you because Christ died for you. And what I think we hear is that Jesus has to persuade God to love us. The Father doesn't really love us deep down, but he, he sort of has to because of Jesus and what he's done. But what the Bible actually says is Christ died for you because God loves you. The love of God is the reason for the death of Christ. That's John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. The measure of God's love is his giving the greatest possible gift for you in the person and work of Jesus. When you see this, and you believe it, it has the power to change you. It will make you humble because you know that you couldn't save yourself. Christ had to die for you. But this kind of love will also make you confident because you know that you're accepted by grace. Knowing is grace. You can even look under the floorboards of your life. You can ask for help. You can seek renewal even when it's hard and messy. Change is possible because God sees us exactly as we are and he does not turn his face away. The weakest faith gets the same strong Christ as does the strongest faith. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Do you believe this? Let's believe it together. Let's pray. Father God, we confess that so many other things besides you capture our gaze. We find ourselves entranced by things of this world that will never bring us the life we're looking for. 
heal us and raise our vision to you in your love that we might be renewed and made whole and make us a people who reflect your love to the world through the power of the Holy Spirit. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.